I remember the first time that I ever saw a Bible that had all the Lord's words uh, in red. And I thought the first time, I said, well, why do we need that? That's kind of a stupid question, isn't it? And now I love to see a Bible that has all of his words in red. Because the words of the Lord are enlightening to us. They're life-giving. They're, res- they're, they're healing. They restore us. And so if we had to sort of excise anything, uh, the thing that we certainly could never excise from the scriptures would be the words that he said to us. I don't know that we all hear them actually the way that he intended us to hear them. Nevertheless, if we make them part of our lives, eventually some of that sort of just works its way into us. And that's a good thing. The fathers are very uh, wise. Actually, it's not so much the fathers. You know, we have a lectionary. And our lectionary is not just a, a, a thing that happened because certain bishops got together at certain times and said, okay, this is what we're going to do for all time. We're going to do that. No, it comes out of the life of the church. It comes out of Christ living in you. It comes out of you and the people that came before you saying to their priests and to their deacons and to their readers, oh, I wish we heard that more. Organically, the the lectionary finds its way to us, which is really a beautiful thing. And so you and I are the beneficiaries of knowing those things that we should hear most often. But brothers and sisters, all of the scriptures are given to us to, to instruct us and to help us and to strengthen us. And so... Even though we hear some things more often than others, don't despise those things that you do. But the ones that we hear more often than others, we should certainly commit to as much of our memory as possible. And this particular passage is one that has a great wealth of teaching to us about many, many things. In fact, it may be, if not... um, Probably in all the scriptures, it's the thing that gives us the most about what happens at death for us from the very words of our Lord. But even then, it's certainly not exhaustive for what comes for each one of us. And so the Lord begins and he tells this story. Oh, one other thing. (laughs) I I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, and that's not the way I would have taught that. (laughs) Well, again, pretty stupid, right? That's just not the way. I, I would have said, okay, now let me explain to you how a little bit about how death works. That's kind of how I would have said it. Y'all all know me, and you know that's what I would have done. And, but that's not what the Lord does. He just starts talking, and he talks about people. He talks about how they live and how they act. And so he instructs us by the reality that this affects us as people. And so he gives them names, although he doesn't give one a name, which is very important. It says there was a certain rich man who he doesn't name. And I think there are lots of reasons for that. The fathers speak about that. I, I think one of the reasons is so that we can identify with the rich man and not with Lazarus. It's very important that we not identify with Lazarus in this. Because it's a cautionary, you've heard me say this before, it's a cautionary tale to us. But not just a tale, it's a cautionary teaching to us. We should think of ourselves as the rich man here and not want to be like the rich man. A certain rich man who was clothed in purple, which meant he had much because that was the, uh, the fabric of those who had, who had wealth. 
which is not a bad thing. What he did with his wealth was not a good thing, but having wealth was not bad. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. You know, I don't, I don't always eat every meal, but every meal I eat, I love. <laughs> and and I, I, it's a lot easier for me to skip a meal than it is for me to eat moderately. And those of you who've been around me, you see that, and you sort of say, how can he eat that much? I apologize, forgive me. I should eat less. So just skipping the meal is a lot easier for me. But, but so I identify with this. I, I, he, we, all of us, none of us in this room miss eating sumptuously compared to 80% of the world. We're this person. He fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. And I, I, as I was reading this anew, I thought, did somebody just say, <laughs> he's bothering all the rest of us, just go put him in front of the rich man's house. Maybe he'll do something. He was laid there. It wasn't like he asked. Maybe he did ask to be put there. But having been laid there, he desires to be fed from the crumbs, from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Some of you have heard teachings on all of that, and I won't even go into that. I mean, it was, he was a very, he was in a terrible state and had been for some time and would have continued, albeit for the great mercy of God, who actually allows death for him to be a very great benefit. Does he not? So the beggar died. And he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Oh, the angels come. And we have these beautiful stories in our... If you, don't, if you don't read much from our library, I want to encourage you to do that. There's so much good in there, particularly about the lives of the saints. Or, uh, and and so, there's so many stories about uh, phenomenal events where a holy person dies who nobody knew he was holy, and all these angels come, and there's light in the sky, and... Uh, that's what happened for Lazarus. The angels came. The angels came and took him to Abraham's bosom. If you read the, the study Bible, it says it's, it's heaven. Certainly it's a precursor of the fullness of what heaven will be. The rich man died and was buried. It doesn't say anybody came for him. I think that's out of the kindness of the Lord because what came for him were the demons. The demons came and tugged at him. Because in the next sentence, it says, and being in the torments of Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. Think about this. Lazarus goes to the heavenly realm. The rich man goes to Hades or to a place of discomfort. But they're not so far away that he can't see somebody else across that great divide and recognize them. He recognizes Lazarus, who he never paid any attention to at his door, but now he recognizes him in heaven. He recognizes Abraham. He begins, a, a, he begins to talk then to Abraham, not to God. He speaks to Abraham, who is the father of nations. I mean, obviously has a great place in the heavenly realm. He speaks to him. 
He cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Part of the instruction that's going on to us here is that if in fact we have not come to love God, if we haven't come to the place where the angels come for us, but in fact the demons come for us, the place that we will be will not be comfortable. Now, is it some great flame of fire? Well, that's how the fathers describe it, but they describe it as because they need an image to give to us so that we would know we don't want to be there. But what the other fathers would say is this place of, of, of discomfort really is in the presence of God having not come to know him, not come to love him. And so that this presence of the great love of God becomes for us a very painful thing, as it were like flames of fire. And Abraham speaks back to him and he says, and remember in your lifetime you receive good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted because somehow in his paucity of existence, he, of the things that he had in his existence. And somehow in all of that, he was faithful to the mercy and the kindness and the, and, and the great benevolence of God. And he knew God cared for him. And he accepted his lot and the angels come for him. And now God rewards him greatly. Whereas the rich man who had much here and shared little is experiencing great, great discomfort. So much that one drop of water will for him be a great relief. And besides all this, there is between us a great gulf that is fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you can't go there. We can't cross over to you and you can't come to us. Father speaking on the dogma of our faith. The dogma of our faith is that in this life we're given this opportunity to decide what we're going to do. Am I going to love God or am I going to love myself? Am I going to feather my own nest or am I going to care for my neighbor? What am I going to do? And in this life, that I mean, do we come to love God or just love ourselves? And having just loved ourselves, that we go to this place where it's a great gulf we can't pass over. That's the dogma of our faith. We also believe in the love of God. How does that flesh out with us? We don't fully understand all of that. But in fact, we're given to pay attention and to listen and to express and respond to this great love that God pours out upon us. And he says, therefore, then the man said to him, well, I beg you, therefore, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment, he says, of discomfort. Moses essentially says to them, Look, he's got, they've got Moses and the prophets. I'm just Abraham. I'm just Abraham. He's just Lazarus. They have Moses' words and the prophets' words. So much more. They have enough. They have more than enough to know. And if they don't believe those, even a miracle in their midst will do nothing. That's what he says. And so it ends. What do we do with that? The, this teaching tells us something about the nature of what happens at death. It tells us something about the nature, something about the nature of what this place of being separated from God is like, something about what it's like to be with God. It tells us about our own beings continuing. You as human beings will, will continue 
even though your bodies die, in your soul you will live. You will be alive. The person, each one of you, will be alive until that great day when your bodies and your souls are reconnected. It tells us that. But the core and the thing I want to leave you with, having preached way too long, this is what happens when you don't preach very often. You talk too long. I apologize. The core of all of this, besides these teachings on these matters, the core of this is the great commandment of the Lord, which is what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your heart, with everything that you have, and what else? Repeat it for me. Your neighbor as... Say it all loud. Yourself. Can we say that out loud? Yourself. Good. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did he love his neighbor as himself? No, he didn't. Brothers and sisters, if we love God, we will love our neighbors. If we love God and want to experience the love of God, we will love our neighbors even if they aren't lovable. And your neighbors start in your house. You're going to love your wife. You're going to love your husband. They may not be very lovable, but love them. You're going to love your children. Children, you're going to love your parents, even if they do something wrong. And parents make lots of mistakes, okay? But they're still your parents, and God gave them to you. Love them. Be thankful to God for them. And having loved in your household, then love outside your household. Love your neighbor. God loved you. He's going to be embarrassed when I say this. But one of the great things about listening to Father Alex talk is his excitement about the love and the mercy and the greatness of God. He's excited about it. We old people sometimes aren't quite as excited. He makes me excited again. God loves you. Love him and love your neighbor as what? That's your lesson for today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Forgive me.